you have your Bibles this morning, and you would uh, find the book of Second uh, Samuel as we are continuing, but if you would also find with me Matthew, the 21st chapter, very quickly. Uh, we're going to be starting a series between now and Easter called The King is Raised Up. And you say, well, Jake, I don't understand uh, why you don't stop and go to the New Testament and, and preach on the resurrection. Well, I'm actually preaching on that some on Sunday nights, but it always amazes me how the Lord uh, brings wherever we're at together with what is going on. And uh, today I want to talk to you because uh, if you're aware of what's been going on, uh, David, as you know, is a, a young man, 15 or 16 years old, is used by God uh, to slay Goliath. He is used to calm the nerves of the king. He is a national hero. Uh, he would have been celebrated, as you know, and, and they got into some trouble as they were singing, David's call has killed his thousands, and David is tens of thousands. And so David goes from a, a national hero to a national outlaw, and he runs for his life as Saul tries to kill him. And he spends over 20 years from when he was anointed king, when Samuel showed up and anointed him instead of all of his brothers, away from the promise that God had made him. And today, I don't know what you're going through. I, uh, I wish I knew what everybody was going through, but I don't. I get bits and pieces of it. But what I can tell you is probably you are waiting on something that you are hoping will come to pass. Maybe you are waiting for the prodigal child to come home. Maybe you are awaiting... Um, uh, 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 an answer to a question. Maybe you're beginning a battle with your health or other situations that you just don't know what the future holds. And I can't imagine what it would have been like to be beloved and to be, to be celebrated and then to lose it all and to spend decades living in a cave, decades running for your life, decades with someone always trying to end your life. And then... When King Saul is dead, and right when you think the enemy that I am facing is gone, it's time for me to rise up. It's time for me to inherit the promise that God gave me. Someone like Abner, a, a man of great influence and great power, takes someone else who is not worthy to be king, he isn't skilled to be king, puts him on the throne... And here David sits, waiting even longer. As you know, we've been looking, David's army and, and Saul's son, Ishbosheth's army, begin to wage war. And that's where we find ourselves in the middle of this war, pretty much actually the end of this. And so David has not only waited all these years in exile, he has now waited through this war. And today I want to show you, though, that God begins to raise him up, to put things in place where he can be in charge. And as we're entering into this season of celebrating Easter, the same thing is true of Jesus, right? So many times we look at what's going on in the world and the fact that how can God be in control with all the craziness and all the ridiculousness and all the ignorance that is running amok. But I want you to know that God is still working and moving. God still has a purpose and a plan. And so in Matthew 21, 
starting in verse 9, if you would stand in reverence to the reading of God's Word, as Jesus is entering into the city, it would be Palm Sunday, what we're going to celebrate next week. They are worshiping Him, they're, they're talking about their King is coming, and I want you to hear a phrase they use and how it ties back to what we're looking at today. In verse 9 of Matthew chapter 21, the Bible says these words, Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. If you would pray with me. Father, today I thank you for the privilege to worship you. Lord, I thank you for the privilege of having your word. Lord, having your spirit. And Lord, that today I'm not doing this alone or on my own abilities. God, I pray that you would work, that you would move. Father, today I pray that as we look at how you raised up David, how you worked all of these things out, Lord, that we will see how you have done the same for Jesus. And Lord, we thank you for him and for his death, his burial, his resurrection, and what he purchased with it. And so, Father, in these few minutes that we have together today, I pray that you give us clarity of mind, Lord, that you give me clarity of speech, and Lord, that your word would accomplish its purposes. And so, Father, I ask it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. So if you're taking notes, I want to go back to 2 Samuel, and I want to show you that God is the one who gives the increase and victory. And so if you remember last week, we looked at pride bringing your ruin, and we looked at how uh, 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 Joab's brother... Uh, Azahel was so fast that he chased down Abner and Abner kept telling him, don't follow me, turn to the left, turn to the right, fight someone else, don't, don't do this. And then he ends up running into the butt end of his spear and dies. And Joab in a moment, if he could have responded in anger and revenge uh, and cost himself the battle or many soldiers, he chooses not to fight. And so that's where we find ourselves, this war that was begun over nonsense and something that should not have happened has been waging for years now. And that's where we find ourselves in verse 1. Now there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. But David grew stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. Now this is significant because David has one tribe of the twelve. Abner and Saul's son have eleven tribes. And so you would think that the numbers favor Abner. The numbers favor Ishbosheth. David is not what we would consider here at this point in the military stronghold. He's not in the military um, uh, abundance, but yet God begins to what? raise up David, and bring down the house of Saul. And this morning I want you to know that, that regardless of what your abilities are, regardless of what your strengths are, regardless if, if you have more than someone else, when God chooses to give you an increase, it is not dependent upon you. 
When God begins to bless you, when God begins to use you, when God begins to work in your life, many times we think that if I'll just get smart enough or I'll just get enough training or if I can just accomplish enough, then I will be a bigger asset to what God wants me to do. Look up here. If God can make the rocks cry out and God can make a donkey, which that's not what the King James Version calls it, speak, God can use you. And so today, whatever you think your weakness is, whatever you think your limitation is, whatever you think is hindering you from being who God wants you to be, look up here, that is a lie that Satan has convinced you of. God can use you. God can work in your marriage. God can work in your life. God can use you if you will let Him bring you the increase. That's what we see here. Now there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, But David grew stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. We see the same pattern in the life of Jesus. You see, what I read to you from Matthew 21 is because Jesus is really the fulfillment of all the promises to King David, that you would have a son to sit on the throne forever. That's why they are worshiping him as the son of David. They don't worship him as the son of of Mary. They don't worship him as the son of Joseph. It is the son of David. It is going back to all those promises, all all those uh, commitments that God made. But listen to what John the Baptist said about Jesus. Very similar to what we just seen. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from God. Here again, when God gives the increase... You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been set before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hear him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. And he's talking about Jesus. He says what? He must increase, but I must decrease. David is increasing in strength and in favor and in power, and Saul is decreasing. John the Baptist had a wonderful ministry. He was used by God, but he says, I am not the focus of your worship. I am not the promised Messiah. I must decrease. He must increase. Yesterday, I went to Ferris's before I uh, preached a funeral, and uh, and uh, uh, I and, and someone from church were sitting there talking, and, and a lady comes up to me, and I had had the privilege of leading her to the Lord in the, in the hospital, I don't know, six, eight weeks ago, maybe two months ago, and she says, uh, uh, I am ready to be baptized. She works on Sunday and is not able to be here on Sundays, and she goes, and would you baptize me on a Wednesday night in two weeks? I said, you, you bet I would. And there was a, a gal working there and the waitress and another girl was working there and she had a t-shirt on that said, Jesus saves. And the person I was sitting with asked her, do you know what that means? And she goes, well, I don't know. You know, it was kind of confusion. And so anyway, so I asked her and, you know, I said, so you understand what he was saying about you've been born again and, and know what that means? And she goes, oh, yeah. She goes, I was saved with you guys. And I'm going, And Dave, Dave Dykstra was there, and she goes, I was saved at church camp and, and uh, with you guys. And I'm going, I don't even know who this is, right? And 
And so, and she was talking about paying to church. And so a few minutes later, uh, the lady that had come out said, hey, we've got two baptisms uh, in two weeks. And so I've still got to meet with them and talk with them and all of those things. But when God chooses to give the increase, it has nothing to do with you and I. Nothing. All that was said yesterday was David said, hey, do you know what your shirt means? God is the one at work. God is the one moving. And so many times we think, well, if our music was just like this, or if the pastor was cooler, or, or if this would happen at church, or if we had better this, look up here. God is the one that saves people. God is the one that sends broken people. God is the one that gives hope. You and I just need to stay humble and stay faithful and do the things that God has asked us to do and trust Him that when God wants to increase, He will increase. When God wants to bless you and God wants to bless this church, He can do it. I think that's hard for us because even though we don't want to admit it, we like to get the what? The credit. You don't like to work hard at your job and someone else get the credit. You don't like to work hard at home and someone else get the credit. You don't want your kid to make the winning basket and someone else get the recognition in the paper. I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not, but from time to time, back when our paper was thriving, you would see a picture in there of someone doing something great, and when you went to read the name, it was what? Wrong. Now, they never got that wrong when I was doing something dumb, right? My name was always in there in the right place in the right time and in that section of the paper that you never wanted your name to be. But why? When God chooses to bless, when God chooses to work, and that's hard because I don't know if you know this or not, but life is difficult. Church is challenging. Marriage is difficult. There are problems and challenges and difficulties all the time. But from time to time, when God begins to open the windows of heaven and He gives you peace beyond understanding, when He gives you joy unspeakable, when He gives you victory over a sin or a fear that you've been fighting with, you can thank God because why? He has given the increase. The Bible says the same thing about how God is going to expand His kingdom. In Matthew, the 16th chapter, starting in verse 7, Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. God had revealed this to him. But my Father who is in heaven... And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I know it seems like that everything is falling apart in our country. I know that it is falling apart in our country, but I want you to know something. The kingdom of God is not in retreat. The kingdom of God is not facing defeat. People are still being saved. Lives are still being changed. God is still answering prayer. God is still doing what He's always done. And so tonight you need to believe this morning, excuse me, that God is still increasing His kingdom. God is still blessing His people. And just like David was being increased, David was going stronger, God can do that for you. But the second thing I want to show you from this text is when God gives an increase, it is both a blessing and a challenge. When God gives an increase, it is a blessing and a challenge. So how was David increasing? God was giving him offspring. God was blessing him 
to have children who could rule and to could build his sphere of influence. You say, well, Jake, I know a little bit about David's kids and I don't think they were all a blessing. Well, that's because some of them were a challenge. And I'm not going to go into his son who, 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 who raped his half-sister and another brother who murdered him and another brother who stole the son who stole the, the crown for a season. We're going to look at that when we get there. But I want to show you that it says he increased and then began to list these children. Starting in verse 2, it says, Sons were born to David at Hebron. His firstborn was Amnon by Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess. His second, Chiliab, by Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. The third, Absalom, the son of Makkah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur. And fourth, Adonjai, the son of Haggith. The fifth, Shephatiah, the son of Abitol. And the sixth, Ithrium, by David's wife, Eglah. These were born to the David in Hebron. You say, wait a second. There's a whole lot of kids and a whole lot of women. It's kind of like once from once in a while, I'll hear, hear a, 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 an adult say, did you know I was at my parents' wedding? The first time I ever heard that, it threw me off. And you know what I've noticed? It's always some kid jabbing at their parents. Now it's a common thing. Forty years ago, it wasn't. Fifty years ago. But what we see here is that David, even though God was blessing him and that God was giving him an increase, David's choices of marrying multiple women and adding all of these ladies to his life caused great heartache. And friends, God's blessings are wonderful. But God's blessings sometimes bring challenges. You say, I don't understand what that means. Well, I'm glad that you asked. I would love to share with you. God saves 200, 300 people. New families join the church all the time. And eventually you run out of what? Room. You run out of Sunday school room. You run out of nursery room. You run out of children's Sunday school room. It's a great blessing to have. It's a great situation to have, but it also brings challenges. In the early church, people were being saved and lives were being changed and people were being added to the church every day. And guess what? They had no challenges, right? It all went good. It all went perfect. No. In Acts chapter 6, we're talking Acts chapter 6, not at the end of the Bible in the book of Revelations, but in the middle of all of these blessings in the middle of God opening up the windows of heaven, listen to what happens. Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Look up here. There are no perfect churches. Every church will have complaints. Every church should have people being saved. Every church will have people that will leave. Every church will have people that are happy. And every church will have people that are unhappy. Do I wish that everyone agreed with me and that I agreed with everybody else? You absolutely are correct. Well, do I wish that this was the church for everybody all the time? Yes, but I don't know where we would park them. I don't know how we would love them, care for them. Not everyone can use their gifts in the same place. And so what we see here is that division challenges arose even in God's blessing. 
And so in verse 2, Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. You see, it was a good problem. It was a good problem because there were so many people being saved. The apostles were not able to get to everyone and to do everything and to minister to everyone. And so these people had a genuine complaint, a genuine concern. And so God raised up people to meet the challenge. And just like David was being blessed by a multitude of sons, those sons caused great challenges. Those sons caused great difficulties. You can read in the book of Acts over and over again about God bringing the increase. You can read Paul's letters about how he was celebrating the increase and celebrating what God was doing, but then he would mention someone's name, right? Well, watch out for this person. They abandoned me. Watch out for this person. They... They, they did this. In the book of Philippians, these two people are fighting. It, it happens. Where God is blessing, challenges come. And the same was for David and the same is for us. And third and finally this morning, when God gives the increase, it's all God. When God gives the increase, there will be blessings and challenges. But don't let God's increased blessings cause pride in your life. Do not let God's increased blessings cause pride in your life. It starts in verse 6 in 2 Samuel chapter 3 and says, Now it was so, while there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David, that Abner was strengthening his hold on the house of Saul. So what happens is, as Saul's family's influence dwindled, and Saul's armies dwindled, Saul's family's wealth dwindled. Abner began to consolidate more and more of a shrinking kingdom. Abner is more and more powerful. He is a big fish in a small pond. And Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpha, the daughter of Ai. So Ish, excuse me, and the daughter of Ai. So Ishba said to Abner, why have you gone into my father's concubine? Then Abner became very angry at the words of Ishbosheth and said, Now I want to stop right here. What happened when a king died was all of his possessions went to his heir, his land, his, his, his uh, wealth, and even the women that he had accumulated for himself, all of the concubines. And when someone went in to take the new king's land or his money or his concubine, it was a sign that I am trying to take the throne from you. This was not just Abner sleeping with any woman. What he was saying was, I'm really in charge of this kingdom. I am really the one who is ruling the show. And we know by what we have seen that that is absolutely true. But what happens is this is Abner declaring it to everybody. You see, before he was the puppet master behind the scenes. He was the George Soros of America. But now he is walking out in the open saying, look at me, I really am in charge. And so Ishbosheth, who is the king, 
who is the puppet king, who has had no backbone, he's had no influence, he's had no say over it, anything, finally decides to what? Well, I can't let this go on. <laughs> I can't let this one go without saying something. And so he says to Abner, why have you done this? Why have you gone into my father's concubine? And then don't miss Abner's response. Then Abner became very angry at the words of Ishbosheth and said, Am I a dog's head that belongs to Judah? Today I show loyalty to the house of Saul, your father, to his brothers, and to his friends. You say, man, Abner was a good guy. Don't miss it. And have not delivered you into the hand of David. And you charge me today with a fault concerning this woman. What Abner is doing is what many of us do. False indignation. Well, how would you ever suggest that I would think something like that? Or how would you ever suggest that I could do something like that? I am as white as the fresh snow. lady told me the other day, she goes, never eat snow. It might be yellow underneath a new wave. I thought, that's brilliant. But what happens is, is instead of admitting his sin, admitting what he did was wrong, he says, I've been so good to you. I'm the reason that you didn't get overtaken by David. I'm the reason that you're a king. It would sound like this maybe in a Baptist church. I was here long before you were ever born. I've been serving in this role since before your mom and dad ever got married. I gave more money to this church my grandma and grandpa laid the cornerstone. That's how it sounds. I've been on more mission trips. I've been to more seminary. I've, I, I, I. But what Abner is saying is, I have done everything. And you owe me everything. I tell you, one of the worst things about COVID was this is how it started. Pastor, if you don't make people wear masks, I will not be here. And the other group of people said, Pastor, if you make us wear masks, I won't be here. And what I want you all to know is this. If you threaten to hold the church of God hostage, leave. Because it's not yours. And the moment you get to the point where you think, if I don't get my way, if they don't build that building, I'll leave. Or if they don't repaint the bathrooms, I'll leave. If they don't buy more valued toilet paper, I'll leave. Look up here. If God tells you to stay, stay. If God tells you to leave, leave. But never think that you are what holds it all together. One of these days, God's going to call me home. Or if He lets me, move to sunny Florida to enjoy what life should be like. More registered, you know, what's in Florida now than the other one. So I'm thinking, it's my place, right? Sunny, sunshine, I can live there and be happy. God keeps saying, no, you can stay here. But one of these days, someone else will preach behind this desk. One of these days, whatever the reason is. And you know what? Some of you will think, oh, I'm looking forward to that day. 
Some ends will think, well, it'll never be as good as it is now. There's more of the first than the second. I understand that. But look up here, it does not depend on who stands behind this desk. It's Him. It don't matter who teaches your Sunday school class. It's Him. It doesn't matter who does this or that. It's Him. And what we see here is Abner is prideful. Abner has his pride wounded. And look what it says in verse 9. May God do so to Abner and more also if I do not do for David as the Lord has sworn to him to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah from Dan to Beersheba. And he could not answer Abner another word because he feared him. Then Abner sent messengers on behalf of David saying, Who is the land? saying also, Make your covenant with me, and indeed my hand shall be with you to bring all Israel to you. Don't miss this. What he says to Ishbosheth is, God already told David he was going to be king, and I'll just help him do that. What Abner just recognizes and admits is, he knew God's will all along and didn't do it. He started a war knowing it wasn't God's purpose or plan. He started a rebellion knowing it was not God's purpose and plan. And now when he realizes that he cannot be in control, that he can't get what he wants, that he can't be the man that he thought he could be, he decides to what? Jump ship and go to the other side. Adder didn't care about God. He didn't care about the things of God. He cared about one person and one person only, himself. And what he says is, may God do to me. Did you hear that? He is calling out the judgment of God on himself, knowing that his heart is wrong. Now don't miss this, because many times we sit in church and we think, God, I just want you to work. God, I want you to move. God, I want you to change people's lives. And we're sitting there and we won't let God change ours. Or how many times do we look at other people and think, oh, sinner. I would never say something like that. I would never watch something like that. I would never think something like that. And the whole time, guess what we're doing? The very same thing. That's why the Bible tells us in taking the Lord's Supper, to take it in a manner that is worthy. Because friends, when you and I come in and claim to be holier than thou, when we come in and claim to have it all figured out, we come before God and we act like we've got all of our ducks in a row. God says, I see your heart. I know your wickedness. I know your brokenness. I know your pain. And friends, the Bible says that if you will humbly come, God will forgive. If I will just confess my sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. But how many times have you and I sat through a sermon, the Word of God is preached, the Holy Spirit convicts, and we say, must have been for somebody else. I, I don't, I'm not getting rid of my fear. I'm not getting rid of my unforgiveness. I, I'm not getting rid of my negative spirit. 
I'm not getting rid of my my backbiting and bickering. I'm not getting rid of that because it's not a big it's not such a big deal. Friends, we do the same thing as Abner. Because the Bible says if those who know to do good do not do it, it is sin. And Abner heard David's prophecy about being king. David heard Saul admit that David had done no wrong. But yet Abner kept on doing what he was. And then he has the audacity to send a letter messenger to David saying, hey, if you want these 11 tribes, I'll give them to you. And I don't know if you want to spoil next week, but he does. That's how powerful he was. But friends, just because you have it all together, just because everyone else listens to you, just because everyone else follows you, doesn't mean you're right with God. I have one more thing, and I'm going to run to the end very quickly. Jesus went through the same thing in the book of Matthew, chapter 26. One of the most familiar stories in the New Testament, a woman comes with an alabaster flask and anoints Jesus with it. It is a sign of His anointing before His death. It is a, it's got all kinds of Old Testament pictures. It's a, it's a beautiful picture of love and, and, and sacrifice. And I want to read it to you. And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Sina the leper, a woman came to Him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil. And she poured it on His head as He sat at the table. But when His disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, He said to them, Why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not always have. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Stop right there. Right? This woman has a humble attitude of service to Jesus, and the disciples begin to say, well, that money should have went to us. We, we could have sold that. We could have used that to help the poor. And Jesus right there in the middle of everything says, whoa, don't go there. This woman did what was right. They were rebuked publicly. But I want you to see here, I want to stop in verse 14, and I'm going to come back to it. Because you say, man, I can't believe the disciples were like that. I want to show you who the ringleader of this complaint was in John chapter 12, starting in verse 4. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Then he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used it to take what was put in it. You say, wait a second, did Judas say it, or did the other disciples say it? I want you to come here for just a moment. Judas was probably in the back of the group, and began to whisper, Hey, Andrew, 
why didn't we just take that, put that in the treasury so we can give it to the poor? And Andrew probably said, well, that's a good point. Hey, James. Hey, James. Why didn't we take that, give it to the poor? He might have whispered over to Matthew and said, hey, Matthew. Guess what happens? Then the disciples said, why wasn't this given and then the money given to the poor? You see, it didn't start with the group. It started with the one. I don't want you to miss the significance of this. Judas wanted more. Judas had the money power. Judas was a thief. And when his trickery didn't work, when his planting the seeds of doubt didn't work, and Jesus publicly calls them out, the group of them, who do you think the one that didn't repent was? Who do you think the one that didn't say, you're no Lord, you're right? Who's the one that probably said, oh, well, who, who does he think he is? Running around giving away things for free. Running around healing the sick. Who do you think buys the bread as we go? Who do you think rents the, the rooms? And who do you think makes sure all the bills are paid in the church? And this little group of disciples and apostles. Now I want to go back to Matthew chapter 26 because it's immediately after Jesus corrects them. Look what happens in verse 14. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him thirty pieces of silver. So from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. The moment Judas didn't get what he wanted, he decided it was change time to change sides. And the moment Abner got called out and didn't get what he wanted, guess what happened? He changed sides. And friends, I say all of this because why? It wasn't in a time of famine that they turned. It was in a time of God's blessings. It was in a time of God's goodness. They had just witnessed Jesus saying, this woman is preparing me for my death. They knew that He was the Messiah. They knew that He was the King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus had already told Simon Peter that you didn't figure this out on your own. This has been revealed to you. This is at the end of Jesus' life. Judas has watched Him walk on the water. Jesus has watched Him feed the 5,000 and the 4,000. Judas has watched him heal the sick, give sight to the blind, drive out the demon. Judas has seen it all. But in one moment of pride and selfishness, he says what? I want what's best for me. Abner had been there when David spared Saul's life. Abner had been there when Saul confessed his love and thankfulness to David. But when the time came, it was all about him. And this morning, friends, as we look at how Jesus is heading to the cross and what Jesus goes through for us, and we look at David and how God raised him up this morning, you have a choice. 
that God is blessing you this morning to not let your blessings be more important than the blesser. Today, maybe you're here and you are struggling with sin. There is something in your life that you know should not be there. And as I am preaching this, the Spirit of God is convicting you. This morning, you can either say, God, forgive me. God, restore me. God, draw me close to you. Or you can say, it's not a problem. It's not an issue. It's my deal. I can handle it. I can cover it. Friends, I want you to know something. Judas ended up hanging himself. Joab ended up getting stabbed to death in a moment of revenge in a back alley. This morning, my concern and my plea with you is this. You never know what sin is going to cost you. But I can promise you it will cost you more than you want to pay. I can promise you this morning that the relationship that you are struggling in, the unforgiveness that you have, it will not just stay there. The bitterness that you are holding on to won't just stay with you. That that spirit of defeat and discouragement and fear that is controlling you, it won't just stay with you. How many times have you seen an anxious, nervous person worries about everything, and then all of a sudden their six-year-old kid is worried and anxious about everything? When I was seven years old, the only thing I was worried about was getting ice cream from the Dairy Queen and why my parents didn't stop every time we went around the square. That was the worries that I had. I never seen my parents worry about money. They weren't wealthy. They just worked normal jobs. I didn't see my parents screaming and fighting and beating each other up at home. I I didn't come home wondering, is this going to be the last day that they're... I, I was worried about two things, playing outside and eating ice cream, right? Life was simple. But yet our fear and anxiety, our doubts, our worries, we're teaching them to a generation of children. When I was a kid, it was not an option if we were coming to church on a Sunday morning and Sunday night. It just wasn't an option. Trust me, when I was a kid, I tried to get out of it a lot. It's the Super Bowl. I didn't know the Super Bowl had a first half my whole life until I became an adult. Just missed the whole thing. Got home and it was in the second half. They already scored. I don't know what happened. Why? Because that's what my parents taught us. This is what you do. You worship the Lord on the Sabbath. You honor Him. Just what I knew. But yet now we've taught a whole generation. And I'm, our family is struggling with it right now too. I'm not. What does that look like? And so this morning my challenge to you is to let God deal with you wherever you're at. If it's a time of blessing, be thankful. If it's a time of struggle, be humble. If it's a season of waiting, don't quit waiting. But know that God is able to give you an increase in every situation if you let Him. Father, today I thank You for Your Word. Lord, it's not the sermon that I wanted to preach. It's not the sermon that I had planned to preach. But God, it's Your Word and it's 
verse by verse. It's, it's just there. And so, God, I today am just trusting that Your Word will not return void like Your promises say. God, I pray that You'd forgive me for any stuttering or stammering or confusion or that I, that I bring to the table. Father, I know that there are so many people in this room today, God, that are being blessed. God, they're seeing their children saved. They're seeing their lives being blessed in so many areas. And today, God, I just pray for them that you would continue to bless them. Lord, that you would continue to increase them in favor and in strength and in power and influence. And God, but I pray that you keep them humble. Father, today I pray for the many folks in this room today, God, that are struggling with burdens that no one else knows about. Lord, whether it's sin or whether it's hurt or whether it's pain or whether it's doubt, God, or fear, I pray today, Lord, that you would show them that you can carry that load, that you can forgive that sin. God, that you can heal that wound. God, that you are enough if they will just come and lay it down to you. Father, I just pray today that you would bless this place. Lord, that you'd save that lost individual that's here today. Lord, whether they're a church member or not, God, that your Holy Spirit would begin to convict them. Lord, I pray today that their pride would be crucified, God, that you would bring them to a point where I don't care what other people think about me. I don't care what other people say about me. I, I just need forgiveness. I just need Jesus. I just need His love and mercy and grace. Today I pray that you do that, Lord, for your glory and your glory alone. God, I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.